boys, welcome to the latest ATP Fitness Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Tom Coleman, who is a sleep expert. Uh, I'm really delighted Tom has joined us here today, and we're going to be talking about sleep, the benefits of sleep to your health, and give you some tips and tricks to take away that hopefully can help improve your sleep and improve your health. Tom has a wealth of experience, so I'm going to let Tom introduce himself and let him know who you are. So Tom, thanks for joining us. Lovely. Let people know uh, who you are uh, and what you do. Lovely. Thanks very much, Dean, and uh, thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to come on and talk about all things sleep and health and science and movement and all that. Um, my name is Tom Coleman. I've been involved in sleep for, I suppose, nearly a decade now. Um, I set up a business about nine years ago, um, and it was actually in nutrition that I started off. I have a background in health science and physiology, and I was really always into sport uh, of some kind. And um, so, and nutrition was a huge thing. And back then it was kind of, you know, I've, I've always loved talking about nutrition and it was part of what I studied. So I thought, well, you know, it was something I was passionate about. So I set up a business with my wife. She's a chef. So we, we kind of were educating people on, on, on what to eat. And very early on, I kind of became obsessed about, well, what has the biggest impact on recovery? Because there was a lot of science in the strength and condition side of things and the psychology and all that. But it's when athletes went away from the training pitch, you know, what were they doing? And, and, and that really made the difference uh, according to a lot of coaches. So sleep came up as one of the things. And I, I researched sleep and I got in contact with a company from the US and I started working with technology which analyzed sleep patterns and fatigue levels in professional athletes. And that's how I started off in sleep. And then I quickly became sort of, I got asked to speak about sleep. Uh, I got to work with some, some of the lads in the Irish rugby team and um, a lot of other kind of sports. And, and over the last sort of nine years now or more, um, it's an area that I work more and more in. Nearly all my work now is dedicated completely to sleep. Um, so I have a little bit of knowledge about nutrition. I have a little bit of knowledge about other things. Um, but really, I, I'm, a, I'm a health scientist and I, I'm someone who's passionate about kind of helping people and educating people if I can. Brilliant. Uh, so as, as we spoke before, we, we kind of started the podcast there, you know, sleep is one for, for me as well. That, like, like yourself came on initially, there was nutrition and there was exercise. And I realized, hold on, this isn't the whole part of everything that's, that's needed here. Yeah. Uh, uh, it is an area that there isn't actually a lot of information out there easily to, to find yes. and digest. So mm -hmm. uh, I suppose a very general question, and you know, I could probably talk all night on this, but like, why would you say sleep is so important to our health? Um, uh, like I, I, I'll give you a few quotes from, from sort of universities and experts in the area. So like Harvard have a sleep division. So they, for years now, they have analyzed what happens during sleep and how that impacts health. So according to Harvard, sleep is one of the three pillars of health exercise, nutrition, and sleep. A famous neuroscientist, which I'm sure you've heard of, Matthew Walker, who wrote Why We Sleep, he said, of that quote, he said, uh, sleep is the foundation that the other two are built upon. Um, so another uh, circadian biologist said, uh, sleep is the master conductor of health and disease. You know, that's quite a statement, you yeah. know. Um, so for me, when I look at it, it's, you know, we should be sleeping about 36% of our lives. That's more time dedicated to one activity than anything else, yeah. you know, in our human physiology. In science, it's known as a biological investment. You know, it's a biological investment in self. There's so much going on while we sleep. It's, it's so areas of the brain are more active while we're sleeping than they are when we're awake. Um, there isn't, 
I can delve into, and I will delve, delve into it a little bit. We talk about the endocrine system, we talk about immunity, we talk about tissue repair, we talk about, you know, energy replenishment, we talk about psychology, emotion, um, every single aspect of who we are is impacted through sleep. There isn't one that I could say, well, that's not, but this is. It's not most of it, it's all of it, 100% of it is, is, yeah. is directly and immediately impacted through uh, sleep or, or lack of. I think it's something I've, I've heard you say on a previous podcast uh, is that it's something that you can do immediately that gives immediate return. So yeah. like if you get a good night's sleep, you, you will see an impact almost immediately, which is not, which is rare for most things. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, if, if, if you were speaking to an athlete or, or an athlete, if an athlete said to me, is there any, is there anything I can take? Or is there anything I can do that will just completely um, and instantly you know, bring my reaction times up, help me with my body composition, help me put on muscle. Uh, and you can go through aerobic uh, output, fatigue levels, um, you know, time to exertion. Is there anything, is there anything, sleep, that's it. And, and again, Matthew Walker, I think it was him that said, it's the most under abused legal performance enhancer. So it's fantastic quote. Yeah. 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 So like when it comes to, Sleep, I suppose, the, the people that were kind of we would work with majority of the time would be, we, we call them like a general population, your, your general clients who are just looking to improve their health, uh, looking to maybe maybe lose some weight. Like, how important is it for them to recognise that sleep is a crucial role? Because a lot of people I've seen over the years will just jump into mm-hmm. an exercise routine. They will go on a restrictive diet, but it's not assessing, you know, like sleep, stress, mindset, etc. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, like, even in the in the world of professional sport, it's only now kind of being recognised. And even still, there are some sports that are lagging behind in the recognition of the value of sleep. And we don't value it enough. I mean, in Ireland, right, it's, it's kind of a badge of honour, right? The, the earlier you're up, like when I was a kid, it was like, well, oh, he, oh, he's a great fella. He gets up at five o'clock in the morning, you know? <laughs> so we don't value it intrinsically, I think. I mean, I can tell you the science about it, but like if we were, if we were at work and we had a two-hour lunch break, and I said to you, "Listen, I'm off to, I'm going to hit the gym for an hour and do a session. We've two hours here," you'd be saying, "Geez, well that fella, he's in serious shape. He's heading off to the gym, you know." For yeah. But if I turn around to you and I say, "Listen, two hours off, I'm, I'm going to go for a nap." Look <laughs> at that fella going for a nap, you know. Yeah. So, oh, you know, have to get over. To be honest, I just you know, like as in for myself, I'd be like, oh, I can't take a nap now. It's the middle of the day, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it is. We talk about naps in a little while, but we what we have to do is kind of value it. And what I've told people is is exactly that. Is you know, it's a conductor of health and disease. It's a foundation, and like, you know, for each of us, for each and every one of us, um. It, it's it's a protector of health you know or from a neurological standpoint we know that things like alzheimer's and parkinson's disease are very closely associated and linked with the quality of sleep we get now that's a long-term consequence right of not getting enough sleep there are short-term immediate consequences like if we talk about someone who's trying to change their body composition let's look at that so if i'm sleep deprived if I accumulate sleep debt, we call it. So if I'm sleep deprived, my cortisol levels are going to be elevated for longer. Now, cortisol is important. Cortisol is known as a stress hormone. It's very appropriate at the right time, in the right amount, in the right context. But it's inappropriate at certain times, or it's not going to benefit us at certain times. 
So if my cortisol levels are elevated, especially late in the evening, my sleep is going to be impacted. Uh, my energy that's coming into my body is going to be stored as fat. Um, from a from a muscular point of view, we we do all our gains, you know, when we're asleep. I I would say that you know about seventy five percent of anabolic processes happen when we're asleep. You know, so you talk to guys who go to the gym and the lift and they, and, and they do everything so well, right? This is this is the thing that gets me, right? Is that people go to the gym or they train and they're they're really, really putting in effort. Like they're they're really like to the point of like nearly collapse or whatever. Some people they go and they work and they work and work and the trainers are there telling them, you know, work hard and do this and whatever. And then they're kind of worn up don't now ruin it all in the kitchen because it takes only five minutes in the kitchen to eat the pizza, you know, or whatever it might be, right? So we kind of now have, have brought nutrition up to the same kind of level of respect as, as exercise. And people know now, right, I can't undo all my hard work in the kitchen. No one ever says that about sleep. You know, no one ever says, listen, sleep harder, sleep well. <laughs> you know, yeah. make sure you do, you know. Whereas I'm the guy going around, listen, sleep harder. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I want you to focus now on your sleep, right? I want to see, you know. <laughs> so we, we, we have to understand, you know, that you know growth hormone is secreted during the first two deep phases of sleep right so that's when all the tissue and muscular repair happens so if you really want to hijack that process if you really want to um bootstrap on that and and, and make it work even better then you have a case and shake two or three hours before you go to bed so in that way the amino acids are hitting your bloodstream at the same time as the growth hormone i mean like professional athletes know this and that's why many of them they are of their OCD about their sleep habits and they try and get not nine hours or six cycles of sleep rather than five. Yeah. I know LeBron James himself would, would do it. Like he was a master of sleep. Uh, it's like any opportunity he got, he was sleeping, he was napping. But again, they get, you know, f- fully understanding what, what his body needed was recovery yes. uh, versus all of the training. You know, when it comes to sleep and and sleep patterns uh again especially i suppose the last year for a lot of people has made sleeping patterns a lot more erratic for some it's made it more normalized like for myself and i know my business partner we've had it more normally sleep over the last year because usually we're getting up in the morning at 5 30 a.m or i might be finishing till 8 or 9 p.m whatever so it's, it's been a bit erratic whereas we haven't been doing that so we're kind of have our set head times and we've seen that massive benefit but for other people, it has been a case of they're staying up later and maybe yeah. not getting up till later. Like, yeah. how does it work in the sense of like, you know, the thing like circadian rhythm and yeah. even like the likes of setting sleep cycles? Like, how would you yeah. explain that to people? So like, just to explain to people, people may have heard of circadian rhythms. What does that mean? So we have an internalized circadian rhythm that should be matched with the outside. So what circadian means circa around about and DN a day, so around about a day. So we have a, a pattern or a rhythm internally of about around about a day. I mean, we all know we have annual cycles and seasonal cycles, and all the ladies and men will know we have uh, monthly cycles. And we also have daily cycles. These are known as circadian. And we also have 90-minute cycles, and these are called ultradian, right? So our circadian rhythm has been disrupted in what's happened with COVID. So I suppose what's happened normally, like you said, we, we, we may have got up at, you know, half six or seven o'clock. We get outside, uh, we get dressed, we have breakfast, we get outside for work, jump in the car, head off, 
meet people, grab a coffee, get into work, you're moving around, you do, you know, we have a kind of uh, a framework to, to, to uh, plot, plot out our day and our activities and our exercise and our food and all that kind of stuff. That's been taken away from people and um, that kind of framework. So that's the kind of first thing that's influenced uh, sleep habits with people. Um, your circadian rhythm, certain functions and processes happen. Now, the body needs to be informed by outside cues. These are called zeitgebers, right? So what happens is the sun rises, light enters the eyes, and that should signal to us as humans because we are diurnal, not nocturnal. We are diurnal, which means that we're active during the day. Sun rises, we have photoreceptors in our eyes, which are exceptionally sensitive to light. So once that we get that light message, that signals then to a very specific part of our brain, and that's the master conductor. That's, that's the mainframe that informs all other systems and functions in the body in terms of circadian rhythm. So your blood pressure will spike at about 6 a.m. to get you ready for action. Uh, your body temperature starts to rise and then you get up and we have a big burst of cortisol to get us up and moving and get us up and going. Uh, and then we, we produce serotonin if we do the right things. We get outside, we get the signals. Um, the best time for concentration levels you know, in the morning time is quite good if we if we need to concentrate on certain tasks. Digestive system um, peaks at about, you know, 12 o'clock. Our digestive system works at its very best. As our core body temperature starts to drop, different things happen. The evening time, 5 o'clock, is when our core body temperature is at its highest. So that's the probably one of the best times to exercise. Uh, there's no bad time to exercise in my mind, right? Love it. Um, so all of these processes are within this 24-hour rhythm. And then as darkness descends, melatonin production starts to rise, okay? Very sensitive to light. And then that kind of pushes us into a relaxed state. And then eventually we get drowsy and we fall asleep. So the mechanisms that push us to sleep are melatonin and sleep pressure as the day builds, right? And then we go into our sleep cycles. So these are 90-minute sleep cycles. And what happens? We drift away into stage one sleep, very light phase. Some people don't even realize they're in it. Easy to wake someone up and then jumping, the jumping phase. They just kind of they might, might, might get a bit, a bit twitchy, you yeah. know. Um, and then what happens is you go to stage two sleep, your breathing slows down, your heart rate slows down, your, your blood pressure drops, and then your core body temperature drops. And this core body temperature drop causes a rise in melatonin. And melatonin production then pushes you into the deepest part of your sleep stage three, where you're completely gone. Dribble coming out of your mouth, you're lying there, right? You don't, you don't remember. You never remember the good stuff. You never yeah. remember that really good deep sleep, right? And then you dream, and dreaming is a light phase of sleep. Now, the first ninety-minute cycle, your dream phase is very short, five or ten minutes, and then you go back down into the deep phase again. You start to go back down. So by the time you have the fifth cycle that dream phase has extended to nearly an hour. So the first two cycles, a lot of the physical repair that happens in the body happens in the first two cycles. And then in the next cycles, that's when the psychological repair happens. Now, what happens to people is this, right? Many people wake up in the middle of the night and they tell me, I said, what time do you wake up? I wake up at three o'clock or four o'clock every night, you know, very typical. There's very good reasons for that. And then what they do is they crave the deep sleep. They go, oh God, I was, I, I was deep asleep and I, I bloody woke up, you know, and I want to get that deep sleep back. But guess what? You won't get it back because you, that's not 
your inclination. That's not how it works. You'll go back to sleep again. You'll get a little bit of deep, but you'll get more light sleep. And that light sleep is equally important to the deep sleep. And people have this misconception that, you know, the deep sleep is the best and the other stuff is just kind of there. Mm. It's padding. (laughs) But the light sleep is where all the psychological processes happen. Is where your brain cleans itself out at night. That's where, like, I suppose, like, so the questions more than once have come in, definitely about people waking up at uh, three a.m. Uh, at four a.m. and it's almost a frustration. You can even tell by the way the questions are being asked. It's like you know, waking up at three, how do I stop it, or how do you know how do I get back to sleep? And it, it is just a case of like they're going through cycles because even my partner and my friend and his partner, who I told about the ninety-minute cycles not too long ago. I kind of I do set my alarm like it's yeah. I know it's not an exact you know for every yeah. ninety minutes I mean, but I do try to set my alarm like seven and a half hours yeah or, or else or else nine hours but it's always almost seven and a half set uh, and most of the time you know if I do wake up around that time I am a lot more awake if I do yeah. go back to sleep like you know hit that snooze button and go back to sleep for like thirty minutes I genuinely would wake up and it's like. Oh, yeah, like why didn't I just get up? I know because the, I mean, if you if you wake up, if you hit that snooze button and wake up after half an hour, you're you're gone back into the stage two sleep, or you know you're going back into the deeper sleep and you feel terrible. So like the reason that people are waking up is right. There's, there's kind of three reasons primarily. So sleep pressure builds up during the day. Once we fall asleep, we start to repay that debt, and the sleep pressure starts to go down. Okay, so after two or three cycles. A lot of the sleep pressure is gone. We've repaid the, uh, the debt and the brain will naturally be lighter and start to wake up. The second reason is that your dream cycles are getting lighter. So especially in the third and fourth and fifth cycle, they're, they're, they're lighter. So you've that combined the sleep debt. And the third thing is that you start to produce a lot of hormones around the third cycle. Testosterone for men, for example, that, that, that will help wake you up. So your testosterone, that's when you produce testosterone. So you, t- you talk to guys about putting on muscle. The muscle building happens in the first two phases. And then in the next, or in the first two cycles, in the next three cycles is where the testosterone is released. So how important is sleep then? Oh my God, it's usually important. And the, the, the uh, neurochemicals that are produced in those latter phases will wake you up as well. So it's the most natural thing. We don't call it sleep. We call it sleep-wake cycles. Yeah. It's the most natural thing ever to wake up, you know? Some people do it. Some people sleep through the night, but I'd say the vast majority of people wake up. And then what happens is I say to people, what time do you wake up? Three o'clock. I said, how do you know it's three o'clock? What do you do? Hang goes out. You're fiddling around there and you get the phone, you hit the button. Boom. You get, you know, blinded by the light. Yeah. Tells tells your brain to wake up. Right. And you get stressed out. Oh my. Now it depends on the mindset. Some people look at their phones and go, oh, geez, I have to get up in two hours or three hours. Other people look at their phones and go, oh, lovely, another two or three hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends. If, if you're the type of person that gets stressed out, then you, you activate the sympathetic nervous system, the stress response, which means heart rate goes up, blood pressure goes up, and your brain is looking for danger. So the idea is to have a strategy. Have a strategy for when you wake. Know that it's natural, so you don't need to be stressed out about it. I wake up, at, you know, sometimes I wake up at three o'clock or four, whatever it may be. I can go, all right, yeah, I know what's happening here brain is just doing its thing and I have my routine and once I start to do that routine I'd say I'm asleep in less than two minutes again you know and that's 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 I want to give people reassurance about that that it's fine to wake up and what do you do you enact 
a routine that helps put you back to sleep. And there are there are other I mean there are routines that we call non-sleep deep rest protocol. You know, okay. and these are these are these are like we can leverage our physiology. Like it's it's amazing. Like I know you know you'll have heard you know about the stress response well we have a calm response as well. We have a reflexive inbuilt calm response. People go what? I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, and it's not only humans that have it. Any animal with a diaphragm has a reflexive calm response. And that calm response is a double inhale through the nose usually and a long slow exhale. So any exercise where we're breathing where our focus or our attention is on the exhale, and that's longer than the inhale. Yeah. That will stimulate the phrenic and, and vagus nerves, and that will tell the brain to relax. Yeah, I've definitely found, uh, even myself and other clients, uh, like, you know, box breathing is another one. Yeah. More, uh, four, four, four. But, like, again, the reason a lot of people can't get to sleep, and I said I'm talking to myself a lot, is that that racing mind has kicked off. Yes. And you're you're trying to solve problems uh, that you know yeah. can't be solved. They are thinking of things that have to get done, and it does. It, it's not until you kind of distract yourself from that by yeah. breathing. Uh, boy, but for me again, I use I use apps like Calm. Uh, my missus yeah. we listen to Matthew McConaughey every single night. Yeah. <laughs> His voice puts us to sleep. Yeah. Uh, but that that works for me. But what, what it's actually doing is taking my mind away from thinking of the 101 things I have to do tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and, and that works for me. So I think like finding an approach like yeah. that. Whereas again, I do find and I, it is slightly changing the way it is, the way sleep is now. It is people who are sourcing it, associated with their health. Something like meditation and deep breathing is still taboo to a lot of people. Yeah, which is, I think it's crazy. I mean, I yeah. understand. Okay, I understand this. Like, I'm a scientist, right? My, my degree is science and I'm a health scientist. So like, I want to understand how things work. And what I, the, the tools and mechanisms that I give to people are evidence-based science. They're not like airy fairy stuff. Like, yeah. you know, like there's a book on meditation, which was written by an, um, the guy who wrote emotional Intelli intelligence, Daniel right. Goleman, right? So he's a Harvard researcher. So himself and a colleague, have been meditating for 40 years and, and they applied their scientific rigor to, to meditation and, and done a book called Altered Traits, which is which is a really um, deep dive into meditation. So, you know, I've I've read that book. I've, I've known about meditation for, for decades now at, at this stage, I'd say. But I understand now the physiology of how it works. And the physiology is through the breathing mechanism. And that's how, it, like the, you mentioned the box breath. Like, is it any wonder that, that the military train all their guys on box breathing? Box breathing, you know, the inhale, the hold, the exhale, and the hold, the, the same, the same duration. Now you can modify the box breathing to extend the exhale to bring you down because on what, what's called the arousal continuum, the arousal continuum is your nervous system. Okay. So stress and sleep are at either end of the arousal continuum because it's the same thing we're talking about here. Everything you feel, see, touch, taste, experience, interpret, emotion, all of that is your nervous system, okay? What people don't realize is that they push themselves up on the scale with stress, with anxiety, with their phone. I mean, the, the phone is a, is a dopamine device, is a dopamine device. And dopamine is usually associated with looking into the future, hitting your targets, and is secreted usually with cortisol or adrenaline. Okay, so if people are getting hits of, it, of, of dopamine from their phone, they're, they're being pushed up, pushed up, pushed up, where 
in a world now where it's like demand, 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 hit your targets, hit your targets. And they don't even know where they are. People go, I, I, I can't sleep. I, I have a racing mind. I mean, in the book, Alter Traits, he, he described Western culture as having the untrained mind. We're yeah. completely unaware of where we are. And we found 150 different ways to drive ourselves up this scale, but we're not even realizing where we are. So I kind of say to people like, check in with yourself. Where are yeah. you on that scale? Cognitively, mentally, emotionally, physically, where are you? I mean, if you, as an athlete, if you go to the gym and you do, you know, you do a full hour of, of lifting weights with, with different, all different sets and weights and everything else, and you're just, you're pumped up. You're not going to, I mean, you know that you're not going to be able to sleep, right? You know that you're not going to be able to go home and just fall asleep. Yeah. Why? Because you're completely wired. It's like having a child outside jumping on a trampoline for an hour. You're not going to bring them in and say, all right, you sleep. But we do that or we expect that of our brain where we're so busy with our lives, we've everything to do. Now, the same area of your brain, prefrontal cortex and the amygdala, that's in charge of problem solving um, and planning is also in charge of um, worry and anxiety. So worry and anxiety are natural protective mechanisms of humans. It's a good thing that I think about and look into the future and try and predict a threat, okay? But it's not appropriate that that's happening you know, when I'm lying in bed at night trying to sleep. So I have to mentally unwind. And like exactly like you said, you give your brain some chewing gum. You give it something to do where the attention is not on, you know, because we've all been there lying, lying awake at two o'clock in the morning doing a, a, an analysis of my relationship, my life, my job, my financial security. Yeah. And the Lord Jesus, it grows arms and legs pretty quick, yeah. you know. Mad. Yeah, so we have to we have to come up with something. The first step is realizing where are we? Check where, how am I? Am I am I up or am I now? The thing is, if you are feeling your energy is low and you want to go up that scale, you can also do it, and you can do you can use your breathing in the opposite way. So you take lots of deep breaths. I'm sure you've heard of Wim Hof. Yeah, and the Wim Hof method, and there's lots of different breathing methods, and you'll see athletes do this. You know, you'll see athletes like. <sighs> Four competitions, competitions was a big one, but I would actually know what I was doing because I yes. seen somebody else do it. So I was like, I'm going to do this to get me pumped, and it got me pumped every time before a big but lift. So, or whatever, like. they're, they're, they're reflexive, like, yeah. you know, we do them without knowing. You go, Jesus, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, like, using the breath is, is one of the was one of the tools to, to get us up or down. So do you find you find with, with people, and I know everybody's very different, that again, for, for me, there's, there's certain, these, these new areas, I call them new areas, even though they're not new, but like, mm-hmm. you know, do you find there are barriers with people when you start like talking about, oh, we're going to try this meditation or we're going to try deep breathing? Or do you find people are definitely more open to it now? People are more open to it. Now, you know, I had a certain, I, I didn't really understand it before. I was kind of into it in a certain way. I liked the sound of it, I, but like it, it used to kind of bother me that people will will talk about, you know, like your energy field or stuff. I'm like, oh, oh, what are you talking about here? Like, you know. Like everything else, people go way too far of one end. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, yeah. This, this is good for your karmic. Yeah, yeah. This opens your third chakra. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, But now you see, now that there's evidence-based science and there's, mech- I understand mechanism, uh, if I do it, it gets this result. If you do it, it gets the same result. Right. So, you know, now I, I have a solid base to explain to people 
exactly what happens. So yeah. I think like I do a lot of work in the corporate world and more and more and more it's, it's, it's been spoken about, it's been talked about and I certainly talk about it as well. Um, but I can explain it very well. So, yeah. So when it comes to, like you, you mentioned something there just about the exercising and trying to go to sleep, like it's something for years, like, uh, I used to teach classes even like, you know, and classes used to be on at half past eight, nine o'clock. And again, it wasn't until I started learning more about sleep that even in, when we had our own gym, we actually stopped classes way earlier. People yeah. were getting quite annoyed, but we were like, you know, you're not understanding. If you're doing a hit class yeah. at like 8 p.m., you're not getting to sleep till one o'clock because <laughs> like, you are so pumped up and ramped up. And we kind of like the benefits like, don't, of the hit class don't really outweigh the benefits of the sleep. And that unwinding, like, for the brain was a i think a big comment you made there like you know it's not something people actually do or even know how to do so yeah. when you tell people like let, you need to unwind the brain like what approaches do you think they should take it's a really good question um i think as i said the first thing is is is, is to check where you are i mean with, with something like a hit class there are things that athletes do and, and what what they're i know what they're doing what they're actually doing is they're because when you we've activated that fight or flight you know, our vision changes and um, all kinds of things happen. Your physiology, your muscles, the blood flow, everything changes, neurochemical, everything kind of changes um, to the to the agitated state. You need to bring your attention to this really quickly. And that's what the fight or flight is about, you know, and then to to do the opposite. What athletes do is they have a hot shower, they eat and they do deep breathing. All three of those mechanisms activate the sympathetic response. OK. But if they're if they're mentally now the exercise is great because it, it it does it flushes out your brain even it even flushes out your brain which is fantastic and and there's all other kinds of really fascinating benefits of of exercise which I'll, I'll come back to but um to bring the mind down as well as the body you need to give it something like a reading a task you need to give it a task whether it be it could be a documentary it could be um um, becoming aware and then controlling that like I said we have the untrained mind we can train our mind we can train our mind you know it, it takes a little bit of effort but we have we're ad as adults we have the concentration levels to change our physiology so what I would say to people is if it's reading for you if it's looking at something that isn't highly addictive like you know not talking about Netflix go for a binge on Netflix here that'll unwind you but it'll, it can cause addiction in another sense because yeah. you know so um people have to find what works like you said people have to find what works for them to cognitively unwind like with with like social media and I like i'm only in my mid-30s but i always and when i talk about social media i feel like i'm being an old person talking about social media and get and giving out about it like it has its purpose but people are addicted to it without even mm -hmm. knowing some people don't even know they're addicted and i'm talking about adults as well like you know yeah uh, when you when you, you i give advice like you come off your phone and you know, for bed and yeah. it's like they're looking at me as if like are you for real that's not something yeah. i'll do like you know like being on social media like getting notifications we know like we talk about that that response we get when yeah. we get a notification in the body and stuff like is the advice just to like come off your phone and out before bed is there like well, Luke, it's 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 how you're using your tech right um i mean look okay f first off harvard uh have told us that for decades, social media companies, every one of them, social media companies, are very well aware of something called the dopamine reward error. Okay, so what is the dopamine reward error? Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that should be associated with giving you a good feeling if you're on the right path in life. 
So imagine you're walking along as a caveman and you find some food. Boom, eat the food, dopamine, boom, there we go. That will encourage you to continue along. Um, so we get dopamine hits from finding things that give us something, right? Now, social media uh, companies know this. Now, dopamine is associated with addiction. It's highly addictive. I'll give you an example of something that, that, that uses the dopamine reward there. Gambling, okay? So you go into a slot machine, you put your money in. When you put your hand up to that lever, you get a blast of excitement. You get dopamine before you pull the lever. Then you pull the lever, the wheels spin, and then they land. Now, if you win, you get another blast of dopamine. If you don't win, you go, oh, and you pull the lever again. And before you pull the lever again, you'd get the blast of dopamine, right? Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you get two hit hits of dopamine, sometimes you get one. But you would stay pulling that lever and pulling that lever and pulling that lever yeah. <laughs> uh, for a very long time. And that's called the dopamine reward error. Now, app companies have hijacked this mechanism. And what they do is you get you hear the bing, ooh, you get that itch to check the phone. You get that, yeah. you know, oh, what's that? Right. And yeah. it's it's not your fault. It's it's that your your physiology's been hijacked. App companies hold back likes and follows on certain on, on your account. At certain times like to make sure that you go back and check the phone check the phone check the phone. now think about this if you won every time you pull that lever it'd wear off pretty quick yeah. if you didn't win at all when you pull the lever it would wear off pretty quick so that's the principle that's the mechanism that companies are using to have you checking your phone all the time yeah which is which is fascinating i think yeah. well, I've, been, I've been guilty of it as in like you know I, I actually it's only in the last couple months i've turned off notification settings in mm -hmm. my, my social media apps and it brought my screen tone way down because i've yeah. often said to my, my business partner key and like you know i would have failed that marshmallow test years ago because <laughs> when i get the notification it's like i i'm going to check my phone whereas without, without getting that notification though I, ha I still check it, but I have to go into the app to check it. So like, yeah. you know, that definitely helps a little. I think that's a great idea. And I think I, 100%, I, I, I would have been like, he, he wouldn't have been finished explaining the marshmallow test. And I would have, <laughs> I'd be going, have you got another one? Have you got another yeah. one? I had, I had no self-will whatsoever. <laughs> well, like, you know, when it, come, when it comes to the phone, it is part of us nowadays. Like, we, we, we have to accept that. Because what I find with advice, just in, in all around health and fitness, is when some people give advice, it's like you're not living in the real world giving this yeah. advice like you know so tell somebody not, to not have your phone like is that is that real advice no, i think look i think i say to people because i've, I've been speaking about sleep for years and, and anytime when we could travel in front of audiences i would say who who here brings your phone into the bedroom don't be shy you know and look i i know that over 95 percent of people do if 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 you don't you're probably like real old school or whatever else yeah. but like Honestly, I say, look, I'm not going to change. You're not going to listen to me and go, oh, yeah, I'm not going to bring my phone into the bedroom. It ain't going to happen, right? So let's talk about a healthier way of using your phone. So setting boundaries, like you said, turning off notifications. Once you, once you get into bed, just turn it off. Turn off the notifications, right? How do I use I bring my phone into the bedroom. How do I use it? Apps um, that either are either related to podcasts or um relaxing sounds or something like that that actually helped me get to sleep so i i might scroll for i might check a few things in sport or something like that and then boom yeah i put on a podcast i put it there and i'm asleep you know so so use it in a positive way because like you said there's no point in 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 
and me saying, don't bring your phone into the bedroom yeah. and go home and eat this amazing, perfect diet and, yeah. uh, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Well, I think like uh, another one on the phone for me again uh, has been like, does it do not disturb uh, yeah. thing there? So again, it's just like, because I found, okay, people can't contact me now. So like it's, it's yeah. I, I can relax. Whereas if, if you're like waiting on a call or an email or a text, yeah. even if it's the middle of the night, you're still like, oh, I'll check the phone to see if it's coming. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. like the phone itself, you talk about melatonin uh, and like blue light, I suppose. Yeah. What I'd love to clarify is just the, the effect that has uh, in regards, what I've learned is that, you know, not just on your sleep, because I class myself as a good sleeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have kids. Uh, yeah. So I class myself as a good sleeper. But sleep quality is something I, I don't know I've heard of a lot and it's like you know yeah. you might be getting to sleep but it's still affecting your sleep quality does that make sense mm-hmm. well, so like, so I'll tell you what affects your sleep quality alcohol and caffeine okay okay so so alcohol interferes in a couple of different ways it stops you uh, dreaming as much you don't you don't spend as much time in the REM phase and alcohol stops the depth of sleep you get to which will influence recovery physical recovery um, so, so you will find a lot of people like would see alcohol like as a slight and maybe a sedative, thinking like I'll have this glass of wine, it'll help me unwind. Yeah. But you like that's it's probably not going to help It's it's a false economy. Mm. See, in sleep we have sleep onset, so alcohol will help with sleep onset, right? But it what you do is you, you you get a shallow, broken sleep. Okay. Now, if someone drinks far too much. Like how do I know if they're asleep or how do I know if anyone's asleep? I put a polysomnography hat on, which measures brainwave activity for sleep and, and tells me where they are and what sleep, stage of sleep they're at. Okay. If someone has far too much to drink and I put one of those hats on them, it will, it, it will tell me they're not asleep. They're out of consciousness. Okay. So that's why they wake up after seven or eight hours and they feel tired because technically they haven't even slept. That's me. So that's one thing. That's alcohol, right? The, the coffee then, co- uh, caffeine molecules, block adenosine receptors in the brain so they block these receptors and they prevent sleep and not only onset people say oh, sure i can get to sleep they stop you going as deep in the deeper phases of sleep as well so that interferes with sleep quality to improve your sleep quality you should do all of the things that i'm going to highlight throughout the day that will that are known as uh, sleep hygiene okay so this will really help you know your 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 sleep quality at night the blue light so we have uh, very specific photoreceptors in our eyes some of these are activated by different frequencies of light one of the game changers for people in sleep is anchoring your circadian rhythm okay so you want to improve your sleep quality here's how you do it get outside in the morning Get outside sometime around sunrise when the, when the sun is very low in the sky. There's a particular frequency of light, uh, yellow bluish light, that you have cells in your eyes that this light activates and it activates only these cells. Okay, That then tells your brain to release melatonin 12 or 14 hours later and it helps with the cortisol activation response in the morning. Okay, so that light signal in the morning is absolutely critical. You can shift your circadian rhythm using the light. Now, the second time you do that, that's the first anchor. And the second anchor is when the sun is going down. Okay, Um, when the sun is going down, if you get outside and get, now I'm talking about five or 10 minutes and it doesn't have to be sunny outside if it's over overcast because light photons uh, enter the eyes. Um, 
So those two will anchor your sleep, will improve your sleep, will improve the quality of your sleep. Blue and white light in the middle of the day is brilliant. It's great. We need it. Yeah. There's a big thing about oh, blue blockers. and blue. We actually need uh, white and blue light in the middle of the day. You can't shift your, your circadian rhythm in the middle of the day, but you can shift it early and late, right? Yeah. Um, blue light blockers are not exhaustive. So you can be looking at a screen with, you know, full spectrum light and wearing blue light blockers and they might block a, f a frequency of blue light, but they, they won't block all the light that will interfere with sleep. Okay. It doesn't give you immunity. The best thing that gives you immunity to bright light later in the day is the four or 5 p.m. time when you get out and get that low frequency light in the yeah. afternoon. That actually turns down the sensitive because our eyes become more sensitive as the day and the evening comes in. But if you get that afternoon light, it'll actually protect you. Okay, so that's that's what I'd like to say about the, the blue and the white light. And when it comes to, like, this is going to be a very controversial topic for everybody, caffeine, as I said, like, you know, it, it is a yeah. big coffee drinker myself. Uh, just the, the role that has, and I can talk from experience, so like myself and I always use key in my business partner as an example. We are two very different people when it comes to yeah. our response to caffeine. So yes. like, for me, I metabolize it quite quick, quick enough. Like you know, the effect yeah. it has on me and and how long it, I, I believe it lasts. And me versus if Kean has got to have a cutoff point or he ain't sleeping that night. Like yeah, you know, yeah. Look, how that is with people. Yeah, look, and 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 you're 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 exactly right. I mean, if you look at the guidelines on caffeine, they're very broad, and the reason they're very broad is there's great variance in two things. There's great variance in people, so you can have a, the genome that allows you to process caffeine very quickly. So if we look at caffeine and how it's metabolized in the body, um, it has a half-life of anywhere between five and nine hours. What that means is 50% will be eliminated after five to nine hours. That's a huge variance, you know? So like your threshold for caffeine as well is, 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 is high. Some people's threshold is low. So you can have a high threshold where you process it quickly very different to someone like my wife if she has a latte in the morning she's like a hummingbird her heart just all day you know and i can have like you know three or four cups of industrial strength coffee and i'm like ah, it's okay yeah. you know now i know my limit and i usually have i love coffee like i'm a coffee head yeah. you know i love my coffee like really good yeah. coffee you know and i if i was led away with it i'd be drinking it all day but i mess up my sleep but you know the general advice is not more than two or three cups, not after one to 2 p.m. Mm. Okay. Decaf still has caffeine, but only about 10%. Some people like decaf. It's, it's smoother. But, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say don't drink coffee because I drink it myself and I enjoy yeah. it. But if What you... about the effects of like tea and green teas? Uh, would, like, would they have a, a, an effect? Um, yes. It's just the, the content of caffeine is lower. And there's, there are other compounds and things like green teas, which are exceptionally good for your health. I think I want to call them cachetins or something like that. I can't remember how to pronounce it, cachetins, yeah. Um, but in terms of cardiac health, so something like green tea is exceptionally good for you. Um, it has 
whole host of different compounds that are good for us yeah. uh, but it won't be as strong as say a cup of coffee depends on the coffee too yeah. it's better, better in the evening to be going for your tea options better to better be going for the tea options in the evening like i have i have a couple of uh, a nice you know relaxing chamomile and, and, and lavender and, and whatever tea here lovely yeah. lovely stuff because it's, it's just a habit you know hot yeah. drink sometimes it's just creating that habit when it comes to Sleep hours, it's again, it's something from that's the that sleep book. Uh, that opened my eyes. I was like, Oh, like different age groups need different amounts of sleep because you can hear boom, seven to nine hours. And for the majority of people listening to this podcast, it is going to be that kind of yeah. recommendation. But it, like, it does more for teenagers and for kids, and right. boxes, you know. So, if teenage, like, okay, babies, like, they need about 17 hours allegedly. Um, <laughs> I have a two and a half year old, and Lord Jesus, um. You know the irony of it. I was walking around the room at three o'clock in the morning, saying, "Listen, I'm a sleep expert. Um, you should be asleep." And <laughs> laughing away at me. Um, so the requirement changes through the lifespan. Uh, babies, toddlers require a lot more. Obviously, teenagers require about ten or eleven hours a night. You know, there, there's variance, right? Okay, if people have teenagers, I'm going to give you a, the hack for teenagers because I know what you're going to tell me. I can't get him out of the bed. He won't go to bed, and I can't get him out, right? Because they experience something called a phasal shift. So their requirement, they want to stay up later and then you can't get them out of the bed. Here's how to hijack your teenager. Run into the bedroom in the morning and flick the light on and off uh, and then run and do that two or three mornings, right? And you will inadvertently shift your teenager's circadian rhythm and they might be too happy with you, but you'll cause them to wake up earlier and uh, you don't get up earlier. Well, anyone who tries that, listen to this podcast, we definitely yeah. want all your experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let us, I, I, always, I always start that with put on a pair of runners. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so the requirement is, most people require seven to nine. There is very, I, I, I know a lot of people who six, they're fine on six. I can operate quite all right on six, you know, um, for three or four nights of the week. I know that, like, but I, I love my sleep and ideally I'd be getting seven, seven and a half to nine, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've met people who need 12 and I've met people who sleep as little as sort of three or four. So, yeah, and it is about like figuring out for, for, for yourself as a person yeah. what, what works for you and maybe setting up setting a bedtime, I think, is another big one that people mm-hmm. don't uh, really do, especially again, I think, with the pandemic. Yeah, it's, it's something that people are just kind of. So I just, I just want to let people know as well that there's been a huge increase in anxiety, in sleep anxiety in general terms. Like I, I honestly, I get people contacting me every day, and I, I feel for them. It's tough. Like and and just to tell them that you know, um, COVID nineteen has caused a lot of what we call anticipatory anxiety. So it feeds into not knowing the outcome. We don't know the outcome, you know, and it keeps changing. So that that that's difficult for us, and that that increases anticipatory anxiety okay that's the first thing the second thing is we've lost the framework of our circadian rhythm um the third thing is a lot of support mechanisms have been taken away from us so social contact social support systems um our friends like we're humans we're, we need to interact we're social creatures so that's been taken away from us so all of these things are feeding into anxiety and people are absolutely freaking out about it and just to let people know i mean everyone has anxiety everyone if I, if I didn't have anxiety i wouldn't be here i wasn't here yesterday but <laughs> I, I was having plenty of anxiety but the only people who don't experience anxiety 
or psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing if you have a bit of if you have anxiety. So it's but I, I definitely it's no. It's honestly when it comes to clients, I think lockdown three has been the hardest for almost everyone I've spoken to. Uh, and again, it is that I think the not knowing of when it is going to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but it will end and w- when it comes to sleep if you are struggling with sleep to understand that there are still things you can do right now that that might help with it yeah you know? and that that's kind of it's, it's so so important there's more there's like two areas specifically i wanted to touch on uh we've got cheese for talking away uh, so two areas i wanted to touch on uh one is going to be very controversial and i'm really happy to have you on to talk about it because i always feel who am i to talk about it as a person who has no kids uh, so it's one that I, I've been very slow to give advice to because genuinely yeah. I haven't lived it and you know I think it'd be naive for me to say this is what you should do as a parent or whatever but when it comes to sleeping with a newborn especially or a two-year-old like my friend now has a three-year-old and has a newborn and he's mm-hmm. like Ian I'm getting two to three hours man and he goes and that, that's it he goes that yeah. it has to be it like any advice is just survival or is there something that can be done yeah look it, it will completely depend on on, on on the parent's choice like I mean I've I done all the study in sleep I'd researched it I've you know I've done so much work in sleep and then and then we had a baby and and you know it was like holy god you know um, and I, I used to joke I mean I still joke about this you know I say well, at the moment I'm, um, I'm involved in a sleep deprivation project headed up by my son um, so and I, I I also say that I'm not the leading sleep expert in that even in, in my house my, my my mother-in-law is the leading sleep expert in the oh. house because you know she can put him to sleep better than better than me you know um you know do parents do parents choose to, to sleep with their newborn and stay with their newborn? Like, but you know, um, my wife sleeps with our, our son and she's, she's happy to do that. Um, even though she suffers a lot with her sleep, really struggles with, with her sleep because he's a very light sleeper. He's a very active sleeper, you know? Um, and I've said to her, look, we, would you, would you consider, you know, and she said, yes, I would, but, you know, I don't want to leave them and whatever. So it does come down to personal choice at the end of the day. I know other parents who have, who sleep separately from the baby after, you know, three months or, or two months or whatever, whatever it may be, you know, um, sort of short period. And there's different, the Ferber, Ferber method, there's different methods of that kind of separation happening, you know, but again, it comes down to a personal choice. So what I would say is like for the parents who really struggle and who, who are, you know, sleeping with the baby, whatever, the toddler, think about taking turns certainly you know and think about if you are taking turns give it two nights in a row you know two nights or three nights two nights or three nights and swap around you know does having two grown adults completely sleep deprived is not a great idea you know because we 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 get grumpy and everything else and 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 we and we can we can rub each other uh, the wrong way and stuff like that so like it is the human body and brain are absolutely amazing pieces of kit. It's unbelievable what they can operate off. And you, you know, you can get through it, but it's a form of torture. And um, it's the reason why every army in the world use sleep deprivation to break you down. So think about that, right? Very valid point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what I would say is take turns, speak to a professional about it. There are people in this field 
um, like Bob Oak Sleep, like Lucy Wolf, who who specialize in babies and children, and they're exceptionally talented at what they do, and they 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 really transformed people's lives. So if people do struggle, I'd reach out to those guys. Brilliant. And I suppose on on that on like not getting much sleep, the power of naps, and like recommending yes. naps. Like, is yeah. what's the ideal nap time for somebody? So, you know, one of my friends is a big napper. We always kind of mock him a little bit. Yeah. 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 There we go. You won't be able to know after yeah. all. But. <laughs> he was right all along. I have a friend like that, and he actually had at one point in his life he had four kids under four, and uh, it, culturally where he came from, it was napping was to have hammocks everywhere. So in his house he had these hammocks, right? So he'd say to me, uh, kind of look around, and he go, "I'll be back in a minute," and he'd just go over to the, the hammock, and he'd be asleep. I'd say inside a minute he'd be asleep. You know, Unreal, incredible, opportunistic sleeper. And we can do this. So what I'd say to you is nap, if, especially if you're having, if you're, if you're sleep deprived and, you know, your child takes naps during the day, like our son takes one nap now, you know, that's your time. That's your time to nap. And then I hear people, I can't nap. Okay, if you can't nap, I want you to do a non-sleep deep rest protocol, which means you go and you do a deep relaxation exercise. Deep relaxation, your brainwave changes to the same level as stage one sleep. So there's benefit in relaxation, but what do most of us do? Exhausted, oh, get a phone jobs. and start doing social media, you know? Yeah. So like, if you nap 15, 20 minutes, if you go over half an hour, you're going into um, deep sleep. If you go over half an hour, if you wake up after an hour, you're going to feel terrible. So go for 15, 20 minutes or a full 90 minute cycle. That's good to know. That, that is excellent. Uh, I suppose like we, we have been talking for an hour, but there is again another area that I was like, it's when you get someone who are like, this person can answer all these questions. It's uh, <laughs> uh, shift workers. Uh, and I, I hate saying this because like, you know, all the advice I've gotten or like, all the things I know, it's like, you know, how how shift work is not great for people's health. And it's like, again, yeah. that's not a solution or an answer to somebody who does shift work. You telling them it's not great for your health. Yeah. Like, can you give someone who does shift work uh, some yeah. advice? So shift workers, I mean, it's my job, really. I consult. I, I've, I've, I, um, I've sleep programs running in a lot of organizations. Um, I've spoken, I think, at nine out of the top 10 pharmaceuticals in the world, manufacturers, because I, I shift is what I deal in day-to-day really for corporates you know and so what i would say to shift workers is your choices outside work are amplified in terms of health we all know people say oh what about this shift is killing me and i you know is this going to benefit you to 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 look at the shift uh to, to look at something that's not going to change you know as a human as an athlete as anyone else we have to focus on what we can control and what we can control are our habits outside of work and inside of work in terms of nutrition, in terms of sleep, in terms of exercise, and in terms of rest. So those are your four key things I want you to focus on as a shift worker. So what you're always doing as a shift worker is you're looking ahead to the next shift. Okay, so if you're on a, if you're on a 24-7 continental shift and you're doing three nights, two days, three days off, two days, two nights, you, you, you know the pattern, right? Yeah. People who are on shift go, oh yeah, or they're doing four on, four off, or whatever shift pattern you're doing you're not going to be able to fully shift your circadian rhythm unless you're on a week of nights and a week of days. Okay. Okay. You're not going to be able, So what you're doing then is you're, you're kind of hedging your bets. So let's say shift worker, he does two nights or three nights. You finish the shift at seven o'clock in the morning. 
and then you're you're going back onto days. You have a couple of days off. You that short turnaround is really tough, right? Um, so go home, sleep from eight a.m. Uh, you sleep for either three and a half hours or uh, six hours. Um, so you're you're sorry, you sleep for three hours, four and a half hours, or six hours. So yeah. again, the ninety minute cycles. So for the shift worker, you're sleeping from eight to eleven, um, eight till twelve thirty, or eight until two yeah. and that way when you're waking up now just there's three there's kind of three approaches for the shift worker right what you can do is you can sleep for as long as you can and bank that sleep kind of thing or you can you can wake up after two or three cycles stay awake all day and then each night you're going to bed pro- progressively earlier okay you're always looking ahead for the shift that's the first thing the second thing is nutrition you're not going to be able to shift your gut bacteria because your gut bacteria have their own circadian rhythm i talked about circadian rhythm at the beginning yeah. your gut bacteria much many different bacteria die away at night and others proliferate and clean up your digestive system while you sleep for the shift worker you know um, it's really important that you fuel very early in your shift if you're on nights you get up at usually 3 p.m have a good brunch have something else to eat before you go in some people have their main meal either before they go in or just after they go in for a seven o'clock shift okay don't eat a big meal or anything near a big meal between 12 midnight and 6 a.m okay. if you're if you're going to eat between those times eat very light snacks okay energy balance energy availability uh, don't go for sugar snacks high caffeine snacks fruit nuts seeds fuel well through the shift hydrate well through the shift um, but as I said, you're always planning. Use your naps. Um, prioritize your rest. Uh, know that you're going to wake up at times um, when you should be asleep. You'll be at work and you feel like sleeping. You'll be at home and you can't sleep when you should be. So like, you're always managing your fatigue and you have to be opportunistic with this. So those are my kind of tips. Now, if I see if I see a shift pattern, I'll be able to tell you. Yeah. You know, go to bed at this time. This. You know. You know. But like as I said at the beginning. Focus on what you can control and your all of your choices will be kind of amplified. They have more yeah. of a consequence for shift workers. I guess probably what you said is that like, you know, you don't, you can't control the shift. So like focusing on yeah. that is not the thing to do. So my, you, my brother-in-law, he was working shift and he said, he said, Tom, there was this fellow down there. He said, I swear to God, he was about, you know, eight stone overweight, like a big massive belly. He was eating, like plowing chips into him every break time. And he said he was outside at the break smoking away. And he turned around to me, he goes, I'll tell you what, this shift is going to kill you. <laughs> that's it that's it yeah exactly really shift uh, so i just want to quickly run through just one or two questions you probably would have had some awesome there i'd say and, and we'll wrap it up because it has been uh, amazing so the, how do i stop waking up every night that's like that's one question as you spoke about i suppose waking up is okay but if it, it, it's up every night. like here's here's i'll quickly run through like your perfect day really and and if you do this right honestly i mean you, you'll notice the difference right Never mind the snooze button now. That's your starting point, right? Whatever time you wake up at, get out of bed. Get outside for that morning light for 10 minutes. And while you're outside for the morning light, you can do 10 or 20 squats or walk around the house. So you're using the exercise and the light to anchor your sleep and set your melatonin. Get outside at midday for the bright light and the white light. Get some exercise in or some movement in throughout the day. Cut down the sedatives and the stimulants, the wine and the coffee. Four o'clock comes, you're outside again. So you're outside at least three times during the day to inoculate against the bright light. Then you're exercising maybe in the evening time you do your, you know, five or six o'clock, you do your exercise. 
then um, I'd like you to start thinking about winding down. Where are you on that scale of arousal? Okay, start cutting out the phone, start winding yourself down, eat well, um, and then come maybe nine o'clock, take a magnesium supplement that will help with nerve impulse and start thinking about your, your sleep ritual. Make sure your bedroom is clutter-free, cool. Have you got an eye mask? Where's my eye mask? I had it there someplace. Can't find it now. Get an eye mask, right? Um, have some nice smells in your room. You can get one of these lovely um, pillow sprays from Miss Organics. A little plug there from Miss Organics. Top quality lavender, right? We're very sensory creatures. Um, have your hot tea and start winding down. And then you learn a ritual or a routine or a breathing exercise and you practice it for six weeks until it's drilled into your head. Um, and on your eye mask, in your earplugs, you're out like a light. The exercise, I mean, things combined. Like that's, uh, like I only sent an email recently about taking boxes and I'd like, you know, there's a lot of boxes there you can be taken, but it's like when you say to yourself, I'm a bad sleeper, I can't sleep. It's like, okay, hold on, right? Are you trying to tick some of these boxes before you kind of does, come to that conclusion? There's a difference between insomnia and sleep deprivation. And the difference is with sleep deprivation, you are not providing the right environment and opportunity to sleep for sleep. In, if you're in a true insomniac, you're creating the right environment and circumstances, and sleep isn't happening. Okay, yeah. big, big, really big good point. point. Yeah. People yeah. think they have sleep issues, where in fact they have lifestyle issues. Yeah, that's a brilliant, brilliant point to make. Uh, you just touched on briefly there, but like uh, magnesium as a supplement, like uh, and you, you hear of like ZMA is like, would you recommend those yeah. as a supplement? In terms of supplementation for sleep, especially, I'd recommend vitamin D in the morning. I forgot to say it, really, yeah. vitamin D. Um, and uh, magnesium in the evening time so both of those would be my kind of go-to uh, supplements for sleep excellent uh and the dreams so people are having dramatic dreams since covid yeah. uh, and up and stuff. yeah that's called pandemic dreaming it's a real thing there's about seven studies going on globally now looking at pandemic dreaming the reason it's happening is um a lot of the normal and different inputs have been changed so your brain is struggling subconsciously to deal with the lack of input along with the unseen threat of the virus so your subconscious is struggling to sort of put that into picture so it does so by uh, representing the virus and representing that lack of you know social stimulus and that's why you're having um, very vivid and strange dreams that you haven't had before so it's nothing to worry about absolutely not night terrors are something different okay so that's something you know that's kind of slightly different yeah and just uh one of the last ones is is there any recommendation at all in regards to specific pillows or mattresses that you feel would be good for sleep um i work with uh des kelly interiors and they have an unreal range of mattresses they have a range of mattresses now that the manchester united football team use billy mattresses for performance yeah. so um now it, it does depend on the person. It does depend. You can go for different firm or soft mattresses, but what I say to people is this, right? You invest in your clothes, you invest in your health, you invest, you buy a pair of shoes, you have 20 different pairs of runners or trainers or shoes or whatever it may be. Um, all this stuff, we don't invest in our sleep. Yeah. And, you know, it's the one that we, we do, we should be doing more of that than anything else. And people get a bed or a mattress, gosh, that's grand, 20 yeah. years, you know? So, like, it makes a huge difference 
it makes a huge difference to your ability to, to, to sleep. So I would say definitely think about that and invest in your sleep, invest in a good mattress. That's amazing. Uh, so like absolutely amazing uh, podcast. Like I, I learned a lot. I know people listening to this uh, would have learned a lot. And I do believe like I said, set up the intention beforehand to raise awareness of how important sleep is to our health. I do think uh, you've covered that. So uh, thanks very much, Tom. And thanks very people much. If you want to know more, follow you, contact you, where's the best yeah. way? Um, we had a great chat and just, we didn't even cover a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's more to, you know, there's more stuff as well. Like, I mean, I talk about menopause for women, huge issue. They have huge sleep issues, you know, fertility. Like, you know, we mentioned melatonin. Melatonin acts as an antioxidant for fertilized eggs. Isn't that amazing? You know, so there's all other areas. And if people want to find more information, if they want to talk about um, anxiety or, or sleep issues or anything like that, they'll find me tomcoleman.ie on Instagram. So jump over there and give me a follow I'm trying to put out really useful content for people, really useful content. And I want people to get on there and engage with me and tell me their problems and I'll help them. Anyone who sends me a message, I'll get back to them. I always, you know, I'll, I'll give, I'll give out the information. So tomcoleman.ie, if there's anyone out there who, who's a shift worker and thinks oh, I, should, I should get this guy in to, to talk, remotewellbeing.ie is the website, www.remotewellbeing. So find me on Instagram, otherwise the website. That's amazing. Uh, thanks very much for listening, guys. Thanks very much.